Hello and welcome to the Rhythm Changes Podcast. I'm your host, Will Chernoff, and this episode is brought to you by one of our newest sponsors, Pearson Instruments. Brad Pearson is a luthier and guitar tech based in South Vancouver, BC. That's in the Marpole neighborhood, sort of, off Oak Street. I've taken several of my instruments to Brad. I've taken my upright bass that I've had for over 10 years, my electric bass that I've had for almost 15 years, and my acoustic guitar that I've been playing around town for a couple of years as well. And he's done a fantastic job servicing those instruments with everything they need. So whether you're a professional guitarist or you've got one lying around in your house or your parents' house that could use some love, there's always a way to make your instrument sound and feel beautiful. And Brad has really unlocked that for me. I'd love for him to do the same for you. So to learn more about Brad Pearson and the services that he offers as Pearson Instruments, check out his website at pearsoninstruments.ca or find Brad Pearson on Instagram. He's also a great bassist. You'll hear that too. Go to pearsoninstruments.ca to talk to Brad today about getting work done on your instruments. This episode is sponsored by 12th Street Sound. Where do I begin? I have made a couple of EPs, I've mixed an album, and I'm working on all my projects these days out of this recording studio that's right in my own backyard in New Westminster with my friend Anthony Santorini. And he's such a good dude that he is offering listeners of this show an exclusive deal on a recording, mixing, or production project that you do with him between now and September 30th. 2022. So that takes us through the end of the summer and into the fall. Maybe you're completing a factor project and you've got to complete your project, spend some money before the deadline. Maybe you're working on your next album. Maybe you're just trying to think of what to do next as you find space for yourself and telling your own story as an artist. Anthony is fantastic with all that stuff. I really recommend you work with him. And to do so, visit 12thstreet.ca slash RCP. That's 12thstreet.ca slash RCP to get access to a special rate on your next recording project this summer. That's like Arts Administration 102. Arts Admin 101 is all the energy. Arts 102 is when you take a step back (laughs) and you say, okay, what can I keep and what do I let go? Happy Wednesday and coming at you from New Westminster, BC. This is the Rhythm Changes podcast, the only weekly interview podcast about jazz and creative music in Canada. And we're going beyond jazz today. I'll tell you about that in a second. This show is your guide to the people, personalities, and places behind our local creative music scene. And this nonprofit society that I'm going to talk about today was new to me. After this, it won't be new to you. That's up next. Our guest today is the artistic director of Muse West, an organization that will launch its 2022-2023 season of concerts on August 3rd. That night at St. Helens Anglican Church in Kitsilano, Katie George will come to town and sing. She will lead a band of Miles Black, Bill Kuhn, and Colin Zacharias. You can learn more about the gig and about the organization at musewest.org or find MuseWest on social media. Please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Jennifer West. Thank you so much for having me today, Will. It's great to be here on Rhythm Changes podcast. Nice, nice. And it's really nice to meet you. I know that you're coming back from something and it's from a place that is close to my heart because one of the first (laughs) places that my former band played when we went to Salt Spring for the first time was this place called Art Spring. You were just there, right? We just spent uh, a really long day uh, in Art Spring uh, around 
four different board tables getting some really important inside organizational work done. It was an exceptional day of thinking, listening, and conversations, and I had just a superb time. And I count myself really fortunate to have worked with the executive and artistic director of ArtSpring, Howard Jang. He led us through our strategic planning exercises yesterday, and um, we are just ready for the next phase. It's fantastic. We had a great weekend. Interesting. Oh, yeah, that's great to hear. I have a couple of bird's eye view questions about MuseWest because I am only acquainted with you and with uh, Isabel, who does some things for MuseWest and is also active in the Vancouver jazz scene. Like I just heard her play guitar at the Fort Langley Jazz Festival. So I know of you two who are involved, but who else works at MuseWest and how long have you been there and what capacities? So I'm the co-founder and artistic director and Isabel and I are the only staff. <laughs> okay. So we are a very hardworking team supported by an exceptional board of directors. Nice. How many people on your board? There are six. Oh, six that's great. People. Yeah. And I founded the organization in August of 2013. So we're coming up on some pretty big anniversaries next year. Yeah. So you're going to be planning some kind of 10th anniversary thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, don't hold your breath, but it might involve the harp. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm into it. I'm into it. And you've got, I guess, the typical kind of season of programming would kind of start now and it would run up until like the beginning of next summer. So like in the past, mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be doing different stuff now. We've all had to change what we do. But like how much programming would Muse West typically do in a year on the live music side? So it ranged from two to eight concerts per year. And I think that we're aiming for about five to six consistently now because some of our concerts depend on major project funding from the Canada Council for the Arts. And so we have to be very judicious about which projects we choose to work with. And we have, we've pretty much planned our seasons for the next two years and it's looking really good. Oh, nice. Well, that's good to hear. And then you booked Katie George to come here and you put together a great band. You've got Colin on bass. That's a fun little twist to it as well. How did you get this concert to come together as concert number one of your upcoming season? So I met Katie in Calgary. We're both from Calgary. Nice. And I met her in December 2019 because I think I had discovered her lift a day account <laughs> right makes sense yeah. and i was like this is amazing she's great and we just kept being in touch and then the pandemic happened and we moved to virtual shows and so i booked her i believe it was february or march i booked her for this show in august and then she won her juno <laughs> yeah which is just fabulous such a talented singer who is able to work with a lot of different bands and has some great original music too and is so committed to just artistic excellence we're really excited for the show yeah yeah now i understand you're you're from calgary i i understand this this tweet of yours that i saw where you said that you were just unable to cheer for the oilers when they went to the western conference final this year i get it now 
<laughs> yeah, that's like that is a no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also have some connection with Montreal, right? I've never lived there, but I've always enjoyed going there. Did you ever live there? Yes, I did live in Montreal. I did my master's of education at Université de Montréal and I lived there for two two years. It was fantastic. And then was that the first time you were living somewhere other than Calgary? No, no, I moved okay. to Vancouver in 2007. I did a teacher's college. I did my undergraduate oh. at University of Alberta in Edmonton. Oh, cool. Okay, mm -hmm. so yeah, you go from there to here, over to Montreal, and then back here. Yes. Interesting. Sometimes Montreal is calling because it's a lot less expensive, and I would get to use my French on a daily basis, which would be a lot of fun. But it's not so bad living in Vancouver either. And you teach French immersion. You're a teacher. You're a pianist. You're mm -hmm. a music fan. You put all that into play in Muse West. When you were starting Muse West, when you were co-founding the organization, like where were you at in your career journey? And like, what was it doing for you at that time? What was like the, the part of your life that like made Muse West a thing when you initially kind of got into it? Yeah, so I had some friends come to perform at the Vancouver Art Gallery. The Vancouver Art Gallery used to have a lunchtime concert series. And a friend of mine performed and I wanted to invite this friend back to play a concert in Vancouver. And the person said, well, you know, that's all very nice, but someone has to invite me. I said, well, I'm inviting you. And he said, it doesn't really work that way. You have to have a venue. Someone has to pay for my flight. Someone has to pay me. I said, oh, okay. I said, that actually doesn't sound that hard. And yeah. he said, right. <laughs> so those were my very famous last words. Okay. And I, <laughs> I actually started out by taking my bicycle down West 4th Avenue and West Broadway and asking businesses to donate $50 to our program. Oh, wow. How'd that go? It went pretty well, actually. <laughs> it went okay. Nice. Um, I think my board of directors would literally laugh at me if I did that now. Hey, 10th um, anniversary. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I should do that. And I should decorate my bicycle with streamers. That would be a really good celebration. You could so, have a whole bike kind of contingent. You could have a little bike gang going down and, and all you could do it together, right? We should. Actually, you need to like split off and conquer when you do this kind of work. It's, uh, it's exhausting because you get a lot of no's. But um, a few individuals uh, were very supportive financially. We just ended up being very fortunate that way. And it has not been without share of struggles and troubles, but I think we have brightened the musical community and I just have some fabulous memories of our concerts and really look forward to the next season as well. What do you remember from the first season? So live programming for uh, Muse West, did it start right away as soon as you, was it always a part of what you did? Mm-hmm. In fact, it was one of the only things. I remember a lot of beginner's luck in the first season. We had 150 people at our first concert. Hey. I am 
pretty sure we have not had those numbers since. We've averaged between <laughs> 65 and 120, but nice. this was this was astounding. Our second concert was the complete cello suites by Bach. Oh, wow. Played by my very good friend, David Eggert, on cello. And those were actually recorded by CBC. Oh, nice. And later, one of the suites was broadcast. So I felt really fortunate in the first year to feel really supported. And I have been able to learn a lot about music just by listening and by being, you know, a mouse in the corner at our master classes. It's been, it's been amazing. Yeah. Now you do, obviously, classical music is the focus of Muse West because that's your background and that's a lot of your colleagues' backgrounds and that's what comes into play as the, the main part of the programming. But you do some jazz. So how much jazz have you done? Have you always done a couple of things <laughs> per season in, in the jazz world? I know you've done one in the last couple of months that I'll ask you about in a minute and there's this one coming up. But how much of what you do ends up being in the jazz side of things? increasingly a lot more <laughs> oh interesting so i believe our first jazz show was in 2016 with triology shout out to jody miles and bill and two of them are coming and back for this show yeah they are and when we had our seventh anniversary uh, we had triology come back and that was a lot of fun since then, we've had some online jazz. We had Bill do two solos. We had Miles do a solo set. And now we have had um, quite a bit more jazz, actually. So it's been, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's very successful. So <laughs> it's easy to get distracted <laughs> from our mission of classical. Um, when it seems to be a lot of fun and go really well. Yeah, brings in a different audience that ends up sticking around to some extent for the other stuff too, right? You're crossing crossing over into a different kind of demographic, right? I wish that they would come to our classical shows, oh. but they don't. Okay, take and note. I, if you're going on August 3rd, make sure you go to other stuff this year. <laughs> yes, please. And I find it very interesting because often classical musicians really love jazz music. Like if you asked, I would say 85% of my friends that are classical musicians, what would you like to do on an evening? They would like to go to a jazz club. Um, oh. Especially my friends in New York. It's something we really enjoy doing. Makes sense. A shout out to my friends Wayne and Larry. And one heck of an evening at Village Vanguard listening to The Bad Plus. All right. <laughs> and I feel like classical musicians are open to, open to jazz. But a lot of jazz fans, if you ask them, would not say that they love classical music. So I'm not sure it's a reciprocal relationship, but we try. <laughs> Interesting. Do you take it upon yourself to try and answer kind of the, the follow-up questions to that idea that, that you've introduced here? Do you feel like you have to do something about this, like to, to bring them closer together? Or is it strictly something that you've noticed out in the world? Mm, that's a good question. And... Since my brain is in this strategic planning mode, I think that with wisdom, I think we could expect there to be different people at a solo piano recital than at a jazz gig. And I think that that's okay. But I also think that once those people have attended a jazz show, 
you make sure that they know about your other events. So you definitely have information ready for them and you make an announcement and you just make it available for them to consider. But it would be interesting to see if those two audiences do like the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. And it is also, it, I guess it depends also on how regular your audience is. Like sometimes if you do seasonal programming, you really get the same kind of people coming to every gig. Like you get the same people who will come to your entire season or like all of the shows that they possibly can. And then some of them will pop off and they'll attract bigger audiences. But then sometimes you get ones where if you present a season of really varied programming, you're bringing in like a new crowd of people every night and there's not a huge amount of overlap, right? Where do you perceive that you fall on that spectrum? Almost zero overlap. <laughs> that used to be a cause for concern for me. I love this podcast conversation we're having because it's turning into like Arts Administration 101. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if we were maybe 10 years ago, I would be worried about no overlap because that would mean we're doing something different or that people aren't really finding relevance. But I think when you program, you know, pretty straight ahead jazz, you don't expect that the people who are coming to a clarinet, piano and cello trio of Brahms are going to come to the same thing. So I think that these days with people's calendars and their schedules, very few arts organizations are finding that their subscriptions are growing. So it's an, a unique challenge because subscriptions provide a wonderful source of revenue, but um, I'd rather be creative in my programming and bring people who just give a lot of variety. Right. So what about your playing? What about your own musicianship? Where does that fit into your life these days among everything else, like the teaching and MuseWest, etc.? I try to make 25 minutes four to five times a week to play piano. Nice. Um, I start with technical warm-up. And if I don't have time to finish that, then I don't get to play repertoire. I'm being very strict okay. on myself these days just to keep up the chops and keep my technique in a good place. Um, I like to play a lot of the repertoire that my students are learning so that I'm able to demonstrate it really well and get some creative ideas as I'm playing it. And yeah. I've been playing a lot of Bach during the pandemic. A lot of Bach. Very nice. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your playing journey was like in previous years, like maybe pre-Muse West and maybe in some of these different places that you lived? Like what were you doing as a pianist uh, in that part of your journey? What was that like? Yeah, so I started playing piano when I was eight, which is super late by classical standards. I guess so. <laughs> and I played until about 16 or 17. I got to the RCM level that I had promised my parents when they bought me the piano. Okay. <laughs> and I took about a year and a half off to finish my IB exams in high school. And then I started university, an honors degree in political science, and we had to pick a fine arts elective. I chose music history, thinking, well, I... You know, I've done all these years of piano. I can read music. This might be interesting. And on the very first day, the teacher played the Overture to the Magic Flute by Mozart. 
and everyone in the class was a musician and I just found my people and I found my passion and I have a, a teacher from high school, an English teacher who actually had a Bachelor of Performance in Piano and a Master's in Choral Conducting and then he decided to get a doctorate in English and he always said to me that like one day he hoped that we would have musical conversations because he saw me as this kid doing sports and trying to fit in in a very athletic high school and he said there's more to you and I hope that as an adult music becomes like a pivotal part of your life so we still keep in touch by email a long many years later and he is very proud of um, where Muse West has gone and I send him my playing and he writes back with bar numbers <laughs> suggestions <laughs> and wow. that's good so I feel like I really found my people in undergrad and t started taking piano lessons again and I studied violin for a good seven or eight years and when I moved to Vancouver, I started studying piano pedagogy, uh, continued um, solo piano, and about two or three years ago, I started voice lessons. Okay. Um, I've done some jazz voice, some classical. I think singing is kind of at the core of what it means to be a musician. Nice, I like it. And, and I say that, like 12 hours before I'm supposed to start a Kodai pedagogy course tomorrow for two weeks where singing is what we eat, live, and breathe. So I've really um, benefited deeply from uh, voice lessons. It has opened up my, my ears, and I love language, and I love poetry, and I love books. So to have something like text in front of me is just a marriage of words and melody that is great. What can you see with all your multifaceted teaching experience, your years of that, about how to get the most out of taking music lessons as an adult? That's a fabulous question. I think what you need to take out of music lessons as an adult is a chance to connect with other adult music learners in your community. Gosh, it's also about managing your own expectations of yourself. Oh, that's a good I one. I have two really, really talented piano students in my studio. Um, I have a really, I'm very fortunate to teach a really good group. Um, but I have two in particular who are, they're cousins, and they're competing with each other, and they're both very, very talented. And so I feel like it's different, because for them, what they're getting out of music lessons is... They are just eating, living, and breathing this. And for me, what I get out of it is a connection with my teacher. I get to learn new repertoire and learn music that I wanted to share with my students later. So I'm learning a ton of RCM piano music that's like level 7 to 10. I'm just learning like lots of pieces per month so that some of my students who are quickly advancing, I want to have some repertoire to suggest to them. But I think a general adult beginner... I guess they would find community. I hope that's what they would find. 
Very nice. Love that you go there, especially when music lessons is such a one-on-one thing that there, no, it's, it is actually a lot more than that. And it does lead you to other people in a big way. And even, even from the very beginning, like even, even if you're just kind of starting out and taking lessons with somebody, you can, that, that can ramp you into meeting a lot of people who really share a common interest with you and a big one that, that you can have a lot of fun with. That's really cool. It's all about the relationship for sure. Yeah. Now, you booked some jazz at Muse West in April 2022, and you had a couple of people there who I have connections with. In particular, I would say Todd Stewart on drums I've known for a little bit now. He's been on the Rhythm Changes podcast here, and he's a great drummer in Vancouver. But you had Julian Jaime on guitar, who has been a friend of mine for over 10 years. And you played with Steve Maddock and James Danderfer and Andre Lachance. And the title of the presentation was An American in Paris. So I wasn't there. What was it like? It was so fun. <laughs> it was such a swinging band. Um, and Bruno Hubert, Monsieur Le Piano, was outstanding. We had a really fun time. And Steve was the band leader. And Steve picked selections from An American in Paris. And he presented it in a way that was very conscientious that the audience, you know, we've all gone through two years of unforeseen circumstances that have affected all of us very differently. So to come into a performance now and be super joyful and rah, 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 it just, we're just not ready yet. But Steve came in friendly and inviting and warm um, and just met people where they were. And certainly there were some really fun to swing in tunes. Um, but he really connected with the audience and we had a great turnout. And 25 people bought tickets online within the last five hours of the show. So I said, oh, we need to print more programs. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Oh, so you had more people. You had extra people coming at the last minute. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Apparently, jazz audiences are like that. <laughs> oh, guilty as charged. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And I've done it before. So, yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Fair enough. I have to mention your podcast, too, because you did do a podcast called Take Note with Muse West, and it is available. You can see all the episodes that you've done. You've done some of this sort of thing, too. So what was your experience like doing that podcast? It's been my absolute favorite activity I've done as artistic director. All right. <laughs> yeah. I, there, to me, there's two activities I love about my job. The first is the podcast, and the second is the post-show dinner and drinks. <laughs> Lo- love it. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> um, we have received so many compliments on our podcast, and I've been able to interview some of my best friends, and I've been able to interview pretty much perfect strangers. And I've been able to interview in French and English, of course, and it has been, it's been wonderful. It has just been a gift. It has really helped a lot of people learn more about the musicians we present. So it's been a lot yeah. of fun. And we do it on video. It's live. And there have been some interesting moments. There is no editing. The audio gets edited. But if you watch the live videos on YouTube or Facebook, some, some silly things have happened. <laughs> but it's all in yeah. good fun. 
Yeah, going live is another level. I don't do it right now, so respect to those who do. When was the last time you did an episode? Because I found the show in the podcast feeds. I haven't watched it live or found it on YouTube, etc. I know in the podcast feed, the last episode, I think, was February or something. So when was the last mm-hmm. time that you put out an episode of the show? Uh, we had a Pride panel in June. Okay, Pride so that was part of it, yeah. And you had some jazz people there, too. You had Shruti and you had Brody there. You had two, mm-hmm. two jazz musicians on that panel, yeah. We did. Absolutely. And it was really meaningful for us to have that conversation about creating safe spaces on the classical and jazz stage. I, I want to continue and we'll see. You do have to kind of, you know, be careful of your capacity and your energy. That's like Arts Administration 102. Arts Admin 101 <laughs> is all the energy and you just, you throw everything you have into it. Arts 102 is when you take a step back (laughs) and you say, okay, what can I keep and what do I let go? Yeah. Oh, that's such a, that's a great way to put it. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. I bet it keeps alternating too. I bet you get a similar thing, Mm. 201, 202, 301, 3, you know, like every, every year you got to take a step forward and and then you got to check yourself, right? You do. You do. Because the world doesn't stay the same and neither should any arts organization. Yeah. Well, you mentioned about strangers versus longtime friends. On this podcast, you're somebody who I've just met right now, but it was a total pleasure getting to meet you. I wish you a fabulous time at this show. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you for the invitation, Will, and to all of the Rhythm Changes podcast fans. Have a great rest of your summer. Right on. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you like what you hear, I invite you to sign up to the free weekly article that I write. This week, I published something that comes from the Vancouver Jazz Festival this year. I had the great fortune to attend a very creative and powerful show by Gord Gurdina. I've written about that and one of his latest albums. If you check that out and you like what you see, you can sign up for future editions of the free weekly article right on our homepage at rhythmchanges.ca. 